So how about this great weather we've been having lately? It's been a great string. Uh, no, not, not really at all. It hasn't. I, here, here's the thing I don't understand. All right, for the last three, three weeks, uh, why does the snow and the ice always come on the weekend? I'm, okay, this past Thursday is an exception, but it's always been Saturday or Sunday when it comes. And that's always like one of those, all right, now we need to decide, like, are we going to meet in person? Are we not? Is it going to be too dangerous? All those things. It would be nice to, for it to just happen ahead of time, like happen on a Friday or something like that, or during the week be much better. I love snow, but I have to admit I am ready for spring. I don't, any, anybody with me? Okay. All right. We're, we're kind of, most of us are there. I'm not looking for just for the sun to be out a little bit more, but also for stuff to start growing again, uh, for the garden, getting that up, up and running. Uh, sometimes it's hard to remember in the midst of winter for me. I don't know. Maybe it is. It's not like this for you, but that, that winter is a temporary season and that spring is going to come at some point. The days are shorter sunlight wise, which I don't like that. It's colder, but you know, we're not any further away from the sun, any farther away from the sun during the winter. In fact, we're closer to, you can look it up. I mean, you can, you can Google that right now because everything on the internet is true, right? <laughs> no, you can, no, seriously, scientifically, we are actually closer to the sun. We're just at a slightly different angle in January. We're actually further away from the sun in July. Uh, spring, however, always comes after winter. Sometimes it's only a week long in Virginia, but it, it does. It comes after, after winter. And sometime in the not-too-distant future, there's going to be a day where we walk outside and we're going to see the sights and smell the smells and hear the sounds of spring. And we're going to be like, oh man, finally it's coming. And then my nose is going to start running from the tree pollen. Uh, it's never easy to remember that, though, during an ice storm when your power goes out, right? There's so many e seasons of life that are like that as well. Times in life where things seem cold, they seem dark, they seem, we seem powerless, and in those seasons, it can seem perpetual. These last few weekends have seemed like Groundhog Day, you know, the movie where it's been on repeat. Every single, every single weekend, it's the same thing. And it's been 11 months in a few days since the start of the pandemic, at least this side of the globe for, for us, and I know for many people it's been a difficult time that's only heightened the tension in other areas of their life, relationships, families, work. However, there's always life on the other side of these things, and even in the midst of them as well, if you believe it. In times of crisis, in times of upheaval, in times of the unexpected and unknown, in our weakness, even during the weariness of winter, the cycles of life continue. And all of us can think of miserable days in our life that we've had in the past, that after the passage of time, the sting has lessened from us. You know, it's kind of distant in our memory. But it's not just the passing of time that makes this work. In fact, for some of us, we might be thinking of some miserable days right now that have really just made us more bitter in, in our lives. For us to move through these seasons of life successfully, we have to be reminded of and, and maintain perspective. Even on the coldest and cloudiest day, the sun is still there and will show up again. Even in our darkest moment, all the goodness that we are failing to experience in that moment, in that time, that it still exists. And even in the best of times, the best is yet to come. And so as we're looking through four of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, uh, nicknamed, like Adria said, only for their word count, not for their importance, today we're looking at Joel. And Joel is kind of unique in terms of its poetic style, and Joel uh, has, has this way of, of taking Scripture, so you can tell that Joel has studied other prophets and is in Scripture as he call, makes 
callbacks to other prophets and what they've said in Exodus. He quotes from there as well. He doesn't get as specific into the history or current events of, events of Israel as he kind of sums them up poetically and what God is doing and what he has done and what he's going to do. There are three chapters in the book of Joel, and so I want to encourage you to read through those on your own this week and spend some time. If you didn't do that with Hosea, if you didn't read the 14 chapters of Hosea last week, or if you didn't finish it, I want, to take, I want you to encourage you to take time to do that as well. So if you caught last week's message on Hosea or have spent time reading and studying the Old Testament, you're familiar with the ongoing cycle of sin and redemption that Israel finds itself in, just like all of humanity. However, there's a day coming in which all wrongs will be righted, all evil eradicated, and all life restored to its original design. And that is what the book of Joel is all about. In fact, he uses a phrase to describe this and to talk about this, a phrase that's actually used throughout the whole of Scripture, and it's simply the day of the Lord. And there are a couple of main things this phrase refers to. There are days of the Lord, which refers to the past and could refer to the, the present and the future, events in which bad things have happened. And Joel is going to point out a natural disaster in chapter 1 that has happened in Israel's history. He's also going to put, point out a political uh, military disaster that happens with some of his imagery in the same language of chapter 1 with the connection to divine judgment. And there's also the capital D, day of the Lord, in the future in which God will confront the evil of every nation with justice, the final day of the Lord, if you will. And while these sometimes calamitous events can sound pretty overwhelming, especially as you read through the entire Old Testament, they all have one thing in common, that God's forgiveness and his mercy always defines his justice. So while there are consequences for sin, both punishment and the natural result, that never has to be the end of the story. It has much more to do with our response, our reaction to those consequences. You know, do, we let us, do we let it make us desensitized? Do we let it grow bitterness in our hearts? Do we become more defiant? Or do we allow the course correction and growth that faith in God's ultimate promises provides? And so here's the first uh, three verses of Joel from Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. From there, and if you have your Bibles open, you can kind of browse this and, and, and scan it and see what Joel is going to go in to talk about. He goes on to poetically describe the devastation brought about by a plague of locusts. And in, on into chapter 2, the imagery becomes even more stark as they are compared to an invading army destroying everything in their path. And like I mentioned earlier, both of these things have happened to Israel before. They're going to happen again. And Joel doesn't want his readers to forget the importance of what they experienced and what they were meant to learn all along the way in these disastrous events. You think about some of the global events in history that we make sure we teach our children and that we talk about in, in our age, you know, across the globe, war, political upheaval, disease, pandemics. And while we might teach those to generations, telling them what happened is great, and then it happened, that, that's, that's great that it's there, but teaching them how to think about those things, why they happen, the lessons that we can learn, and how to approach those things in the future is even better. As large people groups, though, we have pretty short memories, typically, typically, and brief attention spans. 
Over the past year, we've been preoccupied by a lot of different things, but I'm not convinced we're necessarily learning the right lessons. As Joel mentions at the beginning of chapter one, I can imagine that many of us will remember and talk about this moment in time of this pandemic and political upheaval that we've been in for the past several months. But even that pales in comparison to what Joel goes on to describe. Things could be so much worse. Maybe a plague of locusts kind of seems distant and ancient. Okay, this this thing that, that happened, oh, that, you know, that happened in Egypt. You know, the Israelites were being led out by Moses. And those are things that happened back in Bible times, as my, uh, back then, as my kids like to say. That's, that's how they talk about the past. But it's actually, did, did you know this, that locusts are still a current reality in other areas of the world? Like the, these types of things, swarms coming up. In fact, this past summer, you know, 2020, go figure, right? In the Horn of Africa, there was a massive plague of locusts, plague swarm of locusts that, that happened, uh, an outbreak. And, and so just to kind of give you a picture of what this looks like, this is, this is how big these, these swarms of locusts become. Locusts are basically grasshoppers on steroids. All right, that's, that's what they are. Um, when, when they come together when, and, and when these things happen, there's things that happen to their bodies and brains that cause them to swarm like this. It's tens of billions of flying bugs that descend on an area. And, and when I talk about tens of billions of bugs, they can be um, like they can range from 100 square miles, and they bulldoze pasturelands in packs of like football field size, sizes. In northern Kenya, there was one swarm that was reported to be 25 miles long by 37 miles wide. So this gives, kind of gives you an idea and a picture of what, what this is. You know, you open your mouth and a grasshopper on steroids flies in it, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, a swarm of about a third of a square mile can consume as much food as would be eaten by 35,000 people in a single day. So you multiply that by 25 miles across, 35 miles wide, uh, 37 miles wide. They, call, they can cause 50 to 80% of crops to be destroyed. Uh, the largest locust outbreak, which started in 2003 and ended in 2005, resulted in $2.5 billion worth of crop damage. And this often happens in places that can't afford for this to happen. And so children end up not being educated because they can't go to school. People who are already in hunger crisis, uh, th that ramps up, it ratchets up even more than it does uh, normally. Um, many of these countries that end up with these worst infestations that happen around the world are already hobbled from other crises, re uh, crises recovering from recessions, fighting natural, other natural disasters, racked by conflict, and now, uh, you know, throw the coronavirus outbreak on top of that and imagine what that situation is like. My point being, what Joel is describing here is actually worse than what many of us can imagine. Yet our worst than what we can imagine is a reality for many other people around the globe. And so, so part of what Joel is doing in reminding people and talking about these things, the lessons that we were, is so much to do about perspective and the perspective that we can have when the promises of God accompany how we think about what's going in our life and how we move forward. In the face of any level of destruction in life, you know, what can any of us do and how should we respond to those things? As Joel continues, he has an answer. In Joel chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, he says this, Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, 
Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. As you read that, you, you may not exactly be comforted by that imagery. Okay, put on some scratchy clothing that's not really clothing, fast, you know, weep, cry out to the Lord. The destruction from this day of the Lord type event is enough for people to be reminded of the consequences of sin and the need that we have to turn to God. Our sin, whether it's the sin that we commit or the fact that we live in a broken world and so have to suffer the results of sin, it causes our lives to spin out of control. The fallout from living in a world that's broken by sin causes life to be out of control. And our natural inclination in those moments is to try to exert control ourselves. And yet Joel is calling the people, God is calling us to repentance in those moment, moments because repentance is a change in direction from what is out of control to the one who is in control. So this fasting and repentance that God calls the Israelites to is not for the purpose of getting rid of the locusts or keeping the invading army from coming, but to remind them to stop taking the status quo of life to, for granted and to remind them who is sovereign over their lives. Every time they forget this, they find themselves in this type of situation and unsure of how to handle it. And we're the same way. We need regular reminders of the victory Jesus has won over sin and death and what that means for our perspective and practice when life-altering days come along. Because they have in the past, maybe you're going through one right now, but they also will in the future. Over the past week, we've highlighted the practice of observing Lent. And I know, uh, like, I didn't grow up observing Lent. That was not a part of my uh, church uh, uh, faith history. Uh, but uh, since I have learned about it and, and come to know what it can mean in my personal spiritual walk in life, man, I, I so want to encourage you to take advantage of this time as we lead up to Easter. And if you haven't started or if you haven't checked this out at all, make sure you go to velocitychurch.info at some point this week, maybe today, uh, even right now if you want to, during, during the message, even check this out and look, what it, look at what it means and prayerfully consider taking part in that. The call to repentance and fasting in this moment of taking intentional time to focus on God, it gives us a chance to, um, for introspection. It teaches us to rely on God as our sustainer. It gives us growth in our spiritual disciplines. It helps us shift from unhealthy habits to holy habits. It reminds us what suffering teaches us because that's a reality that we face this side of heaven. It helps us to anticipate the newness of life that God promises to bring to us and that he gives us through Jesus. Because even though there might be disastrous days behind and ahead, God's mercy always overpowers his wrath. In Joel 2, verses 11 through 13, this is, what, this is what Joel writes. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, and who relents from sending calamity. So while the day of the Lord represents God's judgment against sin, it also represents the life beyond sin that he offers everyone through Jesus. As Joel writes, you know, rend your heart, not your garments. God isn't interested in any outward show, but in the inner thought life 
that we cultivate in order to keep his will at the forefront of our souls, the actions that we take as a result of our lives being changed for eternity through Jesus. This type of repentance isn't about simply saying, I'm sorry, you're right, my bad. But it's about taking restorative action as we take time to evaluate our part. Perhaps you can think of some day of, day of the Lord type moments in, in your life where the life you thought you knew or thought you were living was shaken to its core. Well, those moments, in those moments, we're meant to draw closer to God. For God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Joel continues to share the promises of God to make up for any of the destruction and despair that befalls Israel. And you've got to read all three chapters of Joel, of Joel to appreciate uh, the language that he uses, the poetry that is there, what represents God's character and nature as he cares and loves for his people, for us. And after God declares he will show himself to be God, of whom there is no other, Joel describes what is to come through Jesus centuries before it ever takes place. In Joel 2, verses 28 through 32, this is, what, uh, this is what God says. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Read through, read through the book of Acts. Read through the New Testament. You're going to see these events take place. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, there's that apocalyptic language again. You know, this is something for us to fear, right? But then God says this, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Ultimately, there's going to be a future, capital D, day of the Lord, a day in which we're all called to anticipate as coming soon, and it's going to be the second coming of Jesus. And whether we see that with our own eyes or whether we see that after our death, it is a great and dreadful day of judgment, yes, but not for those who choose to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, when we've said yes to him in baptism, when we are living the life that he has called us to live, the day of the Lord is what we look forward to in celebration. Even in the midst of days of destruction and darkness and despair, even in the midst of winter, we know that that spring, that new life is coming. It's what we strive to, to live in perspective of. It's what we strive to help others to be able to celebrate by helping them find Jesus as well so that their hearts can be open to experiencing the love God has for them and for us all. And we prepare our, ourselves for the day of the Lord through repentance and keeping God's forgiveness and mercy is the reason for all that we do and all that we think and all that we are. That's, that's who we're called to be. And, and, and as Joel says at the beginning of, of, this, of this book, he says, hey, make sure, make sure you remember this and make sure you continue to teach this and make sure the people in your life are learning the right lesson from how you live and how you respond to, to the things that happen to you and around you as we all live this side of heaven. There's an invitation here in Joel's message for all of us, and that's for us to change our perspective through, through repentance and turning from what is out of control and moving toward the one who, 
who is control. And that's something that even as followers of Christ, like we've already said yes to Jesus, we're, we're on that path. That's something that we continue to do. It's not something that we did like only at our time of baptism. It's like, well, we repented that one time and so it's good. You know, so I told my, life I lo- my wife I love her once. You know, I'll let her know if anything changes. I mean, that's, that's, that's not what this is. It's this ongoing life that we live that God has called us into to become more and more like Christ. And it's, it's possible regardless of what is going on in our lives and around us, if we keep our eyes fixed on him. And maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus, um, and, and maybe you're not ready to, but maybe you have some questions, whatever, whatever that looks like in your life, this is, this is the place for you to get that figured out. This is a place where no perfect people are allowed, and, and we're, we're here for anybody who is on that journey, who is wanting to know what it looks like you know, to be prepared for the day of the Lord that is to come. And so let us know if we, can, if we can talk with you about that, if we can set up a meeting with you, go to velocitychurch.info, connect with us, contact us, and, and let us know, and we would love, love to do that. Here's what we're going to do now, though. Just like we do every week at Velocity, even though we haven't been able to do it in person over the last few weeks, we're going to spend time taking communion together. Uh, because th- this is the moment in which we're reminded why the day, the dreadful you know, day of the Lord, as Joel describes it, that is to come, isn't dreadful for us. It's something that we look forward to, that we anticipate, uh, as Jesus has promised to come again, to, to give us an even brand new life you know, this, this, on the other side of this one. And so we're going to celebrate that time right now as we pray. God, thank you for just this moment that we have to stop and be reminded of how you have saved us. That you took the consequences of sin and death on your own shoulders through your son Jesus and placed your, your wrath on him and not on us. Even though we're the ones that deserve it. God, we praise you for that. We, we are in awe of that. And God, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you keep us mindful of that, that you, you remind us of that regularly so we can keep that perspective that we need as we anticipate your day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.